0: Hi, I'm Anna-Marie Cox, and is there a lunch or something?
1: <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and I'm here in case you succeed.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of cascade effects and genuine incomparability. Today uh, is our second installment of Emmerich Airy, <laughs> and we will be talking about Stargate. Next week, we dive into the day after tomorrow, and Dan, what's next? Moo! Mm-hmm. Moonfall. <laughs> which is the whole reason we're doing Imricary, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. We just did a special episode on yellow jackets, which is very conversational, doesn't have a lot of discussion of IR nope. or capitalism. There's some. There's a pretty, pretty Yeah, there's like a a bit. A bit. Yeah. If that's what you, it, if that's what you listen for.
1: Mostly it was that we both liked the show and wanted to talk about it.
0: Yeah. So how are you doing, Dan?
1: I'm doing reasonably all well. We are recording the day after uh, the bomb cyclone, which is just a <laughs> phrase I like to say. And, and I think it's a phrase everyone likes to say. I am actually surprised the phrase bomb cyclone does not enter our discourse, you it, know, it a, sounds a little like more. It's
0: the bomb, but better, right? Like, right. Not, it's, that's it's, not just the bomb. That's the bomb cyclone. Right. Like,
1: let me put it this way. Like, I hate to say, I think post 2004 tsunami got used a lot more in media coverage. And now I'm kind of wondering, will bomb cyclone? Like, eventually, there's going to be some story like about some scandal in Washington. Like this, this has hit Washington like a bomb cyclone or something like that. I love it. It's gonna get used. I love it.
0: And of course, it's very appropriate for you to be experiencing that uh, right before you watch Day After Tomorrow. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that is very which, true, yes. In
0: which we get, actually... I believe that Emmerich did base it on a real thing, like these pockets, these polar vortexes. They might even be called polar vortexes.
1: I think polar vortex is the phrase, although it does not quite get as cold as it does in... No, tomorrow. But, but, that, like, but that is a that is it, a topic for the next podcast. It's,
0: that is true. That is true. The
1: point is, we got a shit ton of snow. There's no <laughs> denying We are now, however, all dug out. We, we have our cars. I have to say, one of the things I legitimately love the day after a snowstorm is you know because i'm walking mimi is like seeing everyone out weirdly like shoveling and getting their lives back in order it, 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 in a world in which we have been hit with catastrophe after catastrophe it's always nice to see that after the catastrophe the humans then come out and like you know tend to their places it's a good feeling
0: yeah it's the recovery afterwards we're both exactly. big fans of rebecca solnit and uh it exactly me in mind of, of her writing yes. about how humans pull together after disasters mm-hmm.
1: so how are you doing anna
0: I'm doing pretty good. Going to be high 60s today here. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, but it's like I, you know, like there's a, a lot that's not great about living in Texas. <coughs> Ted Cruz. Mm, you have to embrace what you can. I will say it's supposed to get down to 17 by the end of the week. So
1: Okay, that is legitimately cold. That's not even cold by Texas standards. That is just That's legit, legit cold. cold. Yeah.
0: People are already doing stock ups like they would If it was a hurricane or something, because, you know, while in Minnesota, 17 is just Wednesday. Yeah. Here, like, my neighbors, like, can't come over today because she's out buying water.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, in case the pipes freeze. That actually is a legit, that's a legit, that's a a legit valid concern. If it makes you feel any better, like, the days before the bomb cyclone, there is a similar sort of, you know, dynamic here. Even as as New Englanders like to say, oh, yeah, we're totally used to the snow and, and all that. And there was this hysterical little video, I don't know if you saw this, of someone, it was the most New England video ever, of a local newscaster interviewing two guys... Outside during the bomb cyclone, asking them about Tom Brady's announced resignation. Beautiful.
0: That's beautiful.
1: And, and like, so they're going, yeah, you know, whatever. We got mixed feelings about it. And then he says, like, why are you guys out here anyway? He's like, we're looking for Duncan's. We're trying to find an open <laughs> Duncan's to get some coffee. And I was, yeah. I just.
0: It was, wow. Did the yeah. rest of New England start speaking like Southerners? Because all of the New England just got like sucked into that one little spot. <laughs> like, they, they just took nice. up all the New England that is in the world to like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> can't can't say that's another sci-fi theory we're going to have to investigate for the day. But, Anyways,
0: um, let's get back to sci-fi. We have to get back to yes. sci-fi. And if you are enjoying our banter and also enjoy our discussion of um, science fiction, capitalism, and IR, uh, you might want to become a patron. You can go to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash space the nation, or we have a brand new website. Dan, what is the website URL?
1: The website's name is, and you're going to like this, listeners, thenation.space. As
0: long as that makes me laugh, we're keeping it like (laughs) (laughs) because I bought some other domains.
1: Oh, good. Okay, But
0: we're keeping that one for now. Uh, Dan, uh, as I said, we're talking about Stargate today. Why are we talking about Stargate?
1: Well, I think we're doing it for two reasons, Anna. The first, of course, is more Emmerichary. I mean, obviously, we're, we're building this up to Moonfall, and I'm, I'm really excited about going to see this movie. My personal reason that I assume we're doing this is to ensure you never complain again about the film Arrival. I know it was not your favorite, and, you know, all about trying to make contact with aliens— And Anna, that is the Citizen Kane of sci-fi compared to the craptacular film we just watched.
0: Well, it's the Citizen Kane of Alien Contact, maybe?
1: Yes. I don't know. Because, I mean, we have
0: to, I mean, there's Alien, which for now is the best movie we have talked about on this show.
1: I believe I even I will accept that that alien is definitely but my point is Arrival is a really good film I
0: I just want to point out that I didn't hate Arrival
1: I know I know
0: I just nitpicked some of the accuracy (laughs) which is an insane thing to do in an alien contact movie anyway (laughs) but I agree if that is a problem that one has with alien contact movies this one suffers more
1: Best. Ladies and gentlemen, never watch this film if you really care about that, yeah. it's just so bad. I'm sorry.
0: Did you have any experience with this movie prior to watching it for uh, our purposes?
1: Absolutely not. I, my only memory, I must have watched like the beginning at some point, because I remember a absolutely humorless Kurt Russell at one point <laughs> looking at the general and then looking at, at the James Spader character and saying... It's your call. And like walking out. Like that was the only thing that I had any recollection of. And beyond that, no, I had not. Yeah, and I remember being I remember being intrigued because, I mean, I'd seen Jay Davidson in The Crying Game and was really blown away by that. And like was kind of curious about this. And this film did not get great reviews exactly. Mm. So it didn't really intrigue me.
0: What yeah. about you, Anna? I thought I hadn't seen it. But it is so bad that I'd forgotten <laughs> that I had seen it. Like as oh, I was watching yeah. it, I was like, "All oh, right." I have seen this. This is one of those movies I refer to as it's like pressing play and erase at the same time. You know? Like, (laughs) as you are watching it, it is being erased from from your cells.
1: No, that's amazing on it. Because in writing, listeners, it might shock you to know that we've occasionally written some notes when we do this conversation. (laughs) But when I I write the plot elements... It's not all off the cuff. (laughs) It's not all off the cuff. In writing the plot elements, I had to rewatch things like... A couple of times because it just (laughs) totally escaped my memory. And I don't think it was because my memory is going. I think it was because the film was that forgettable.
0: Yeah. And there were times that I had to go back as I was watching it (laughs) (laughs) and rewatch stuff because I kept thinking, well, this is actually a case of like, I kept thinking I'd missed some connective tissue between scenes. But no. (laughs) No, there, sometimes the scenes just go from, you just leave a scene and go to another scene and there's no real context or reasoning or there's like plot developments that happen.
1: <laughs> then, sort of, you know, yeah. It's, development's
0: a generous word, right. I guess. But so I had seen it apparently and, and forgotten about it. Sometimes I also blame drinking when I see something. I'm like, mm. oh, right, I did see that. But I think this is actually a genuine, like, I, I don't, I can't blame the alcohol, blame the movie. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So speaking of which, Anna, it's worth finding out the story behind the story. And Mm. the only question I had, I think I texted this to you in advance, but I'm not sure. Was this yet another example of a Dean Devlin, Roland Emmerich, Mexican writing binge?
0: (laughs) Dan, if there is one thing we know about this script, it's that there was a second draft.
1: (gasps) Oh, my God. Wow.
0: They can't fall back on the old Mexican writing binge excuse. apparently. (laughs) Everyone has to listen to our discussion of Independence Day to understand the Mexican writing binge obsession that we have. Now, how do I know there's more than one draft? Mm -hmm. Dean Devlin, who's a co-writer, along with Emmerich, told this was for the 25th anniversary tour that they did. There's a big PR tour said they had trouble getting Kurt Russell. He was pretty hot at the time. He did mm-hmm. apparently have uh, his charisma removed surgically before appearing in this film, so that
1: that is the only explanation yeah. for his performance and this is not a knock on Russell. I assume that was how he was directed, but just like
0: or wow. again, like he just had his charisma set away in a jar somewhere yeah to, to, yeah. to use later. They did offer him seven million dollars, which was twelve percent of the budget, but he still said no. <laughs> Devlin claims that Russell was sent the wrong script that never should have got out there. And quote. So when he actually saw the shooting script, he went, oh, this isn't so bad. Dan? I
1: desperately want to see what the original (laughs) script was. Because if this was the one that wasn't so bad... Let me put it this way, Anna. I... We, we we talked, in, you know, you, the Mexican writing binge was to describe Independence Day. And right. I think Independence Day Which, is a much again,
0: more... Which, again, listen, but that's from, it's a, actually a line from Wikipedia. Yeah. Apparently has its origins, but somebody must have said that somewhere. Or, right. you know, Wikipedia occasionally has genius writers that we just, you know... We take the writing for granted. But anyway, Mexican writing binge is how they wrote Independence Day.
1: But the way I would put it is is that I would now understand why Roland Emmerich thought he could do no wrong. Because if he went from that to the Mexican writing binge of Independence Day, which is a better film on across oh. across the board, then he must think he can do no wrong. Because, like, literally, if this required a second draft to get to <laughs> this level and then all they had to do was go to Mexico and write something and, like, three weeks or or 30 i can't remember how long it's like 36 hours it it was
0: it was just like a ridiculous amount of time but they were awake all of of
1: it we assume right exactly
0: (laughs) so i think the working title of the script was probably paycheck (laughs) (laughs) there's a little more from devlin this about james spader Uh there was one day where he wouldn't come out of the trailer until we rewrote the scenes he told variety uh, Kurt Russell got very upset with him. He burst into his trailer and said, What are you doing? And Jim said, Come on, admit it. The dialogue is horrible. And Kurt Russell said, Of course it's horrible. That's why they pay you a million dollars. If it was brilliant, you'd do it for free.
1: He's paraphrasing a league of their own there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like, the, also, I like
1: the idea. Yes, of course it's hard. If it, was, <laughs> it was good dialogue, everyone could do it.
0: Also, I love that it's the producer. <laughs> producer yeah. of the movie.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then further cast in Paycheck the Movie, uh, Jay <laughs> Davidson was apparently in the middle of an active heroin addiction at the time. Oh, God. Yeah. And it was a sort of obvious on set, pretty sad and terrible. He got sober afterwards. Oh, this and, is good to know. Okay. Um, connected with Devlin, I believe, and made amends, was very grateful for their patience, and was grateful they didn't cut him from the movie.
1: <laughs> they, I, I, I assumed there was something going on, because one of the confusing things about this film is that he really only appears in, like, the last half hour or so, and it was, I mean, in some ways, he and was probably he the hottest actor He also just swans world, about. That like, that's... Yes. And he, as far as I know, like, he might literally have not said a word. Like, everything he says is obviously overdubbed and so forth. Yeah. And I kind of wondered if they'd used another actor for that. But, like, literally, all as you say, all he does is glare. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so... Props to Jay Davidson. Hopefully he's still sober. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting through that must have been real tough. The only thing <laughs> I'll add is that the movie was pretty obviously based on Chariots of the Gods, which is if you're a ancient aliens uh, watcher, you know about it. It's one of the most popular, if not the first book, to contend that aliens built the pyramids.
1: So there you go. I see. Fair enough. I would also add that my understanding is, is that, I mean, there there have been, I think, three television shows that were syndicated Mm -hmm. after based on this there was stargate sg1 stargate atlantis and i think stargate universe i'm not sure but
0: yeah we probably should have mentioned those earlier yes most people are probably familiar with the television show right or television shows this is the original right because ip is a flat circle there have been various attempts slash goes at either remaking it or doing sequels the most recently um, was sometime in 2020, there was a rumor that some sequels would get made, and that Spader and Russell were interested in coming back. So, <laughs> paycheck part two. There you go. <laughs> and the last thing is, uh, it did get greenlit after Emmerich's first American movie, *Universal Soldier*, made 80 million dollars on a 23 million dollar budget.
1: On a *Universal Soldier* is a good film. Like, I actually enjoy Universal Maybe Soldier. Maybe we so should have we, done Universal we, we, Soldier. We, I, I suggested this at one point, but, like, no, that's fine. That, that's about as least an Emmerich film as you can possibly imagine. This is much more Emmerich area, as okay. it were.
0: Speaking of, let's get yes. to the plot, Dan.
1: All right. Oh, God, listeners. All right, Act 1. There's a gate, and it's to the stars. Meet Daniel Jackson, an academic so nebbishy that French Stewart, French Stewart, <laughs> Anna, will bully him later on in the film. <laughs> He is a hapless professor slash Egyptologist slash linguist who's just been kicked out of his apartment, but attracts the attention of the military due to his idiosyncratic theory that the Egyptians did not actually build the pyramids. The Air Force wants him to help decode some hieroglyphics on a gate brought back from Egypt. Given the poor state of the academic job market in the mid-90s, Jackson wisely accepts. It's the only smart thing he does in this film, Anna.
0: I I dropped out in 1994.
1: I dropped out of a PhD program. Jackson figures out that the symbols on the gate are actually constellations. Once decoded, the Air Force is able to open up the Stargate, which leads to, this is the phrase in the text, the Calium Galaxy on, quote, the other side of the universe.
0: <laughs> okay, just quick interjection. The, yeah. This is not the first thing that's inaccurate, <laughs> but it's the one that I was like, oh, come on. The the scale, right? They have a map yeah. of <laughs> the universe. <laughs> yes! yes! I'm sorry, Anna, that was priceless. And Spader, like, goes up to it and, like, point, he does a thing where, like, it's a glass one, you know, yeah. like and he yeah. points at the place where the Calium galaxy is, and then he moves his finger... About like from, let's say, California to New York on a normal sized map map. and is like, oh, and here's Earth. And I don't know, like it's it's that's not that's that's not big enough.
1: No, no, it's not. The moment you start talking about travel (laughs) beyond galaxies, you're in silly land. I will say this, though, Anna, that I remembered. I've forgotten most of this film, but that I did not have any trouble looking Remembering in the notes. Yeah. So, after Jackson says that he can totally figure out how to align the Stargate on the other side for the reverse trip, they decide to send a very badly prepared team, <laughs> led by mopey automaton Colonel Jack O'Neill, who is definitely not recovered from his son accidentally killing himself with one of O'Neill's guns. Anna, is it me, or does sending a bunch of grunts and only one linguist to the other side of the universe seem like really piss poor planning? You know what it was also piss poor planning? The assumption that the return trip was a lead pipe cinch. No wonder Jackson was drummed out of the academy. No decent academic would ever promise results like that.
0: Right. No academic would promise results. Right.
1: There we go. Exactly. Yes. Yes. (laughs) We're not idiots, Anna. We always hedge.
0: But like a good academic, he does lie.
1: Like he does Ooh, oh, oh, <laughs> oh. About his level words. of
0: knowledge, right? Like he, he assumes he
1: knows more. Yes, he he that's fair. He assumes he knows
0: more. Okay, that's lie fair. is a strong word. Yeah. Like a good academic, he presents that he has figured out more than he really has.
1: He does have the confidence of an academic. He, does, he it has the way. confidence
0: of an academic in his own intelligence. Yes. Not in much else, but in his own <laughs> intelligence. Right. And all I got to say about, is it, is it a team that's very well put together? Dan, at least there's not a mathematician.
1: Ooh. Ooh, ooh. Oh! Rivals. Oh! Arrival! Arrival! Smackdown! Arrival. Seriously? Smackdown. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> they were right. That is Jeremy Renner hatred, and I will not tolerate it. I fully endorse the mathematician point. In arrival, we've
0: talked about a, a, a Renner airy also, in addition ooh. to the Butler airy. Maybe. Like, although I, and I think the reason we've talked about it is because I confused the two of them.
1: That probably might be a Yes.
0: Yeah, but I think that there. I mean, Jeremy Renner is an interesting character. Yeah. Much like George Butler. Anyway, so back to to this terrible movie. Yes. (laughs) If we wanted to start talking about how badly planned this expedition was, we would we would spend a lot more time on this movie than it deserves. That's true. Uh, So I'm just going to cut it short at I was a little surprised there wasn't a token woman.
1: Oh, you know? oh, Anna, we'll we'll talk about the gender in the movie a little bit later, because <laughs> yeah, that was that I mean, was. Something.
0: It, I, I am actually genuinely surprised, like because nineteen ninety mid nineteen nineties is when you start to get like, you know, sort of G.I. Jane Sigourney Weaver. You get yeah. One although tough I would the, the way I would put broad, it, those not a sexy yeah. broad actually broad not the right word. You get you get like a someone yeah. or you get the opposite. That get you get the sexy scientist. Right.
1: Right. Yes. But, yes. So
0: I was a little surprised, although then it made sense why James Spader, <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert, decides to shack up with the woman, the I, who's presented to him as a Anna. You
1: are ruining this movie for listeners. I can't believe you. This. I know, oh my God. I know. You know. Okay. All um, right. Let's.
0: I want to say one thing about the about, uh, No, I'm not.
1: What were you to say? stop
0: here would take us too far off track, and we must not spend too much time talking about this movie.
1: Continue. <laughs> Okay, let's move to Act Two: First Contact. The team takes the Stargate and emerges on the other side. They find themselves in an Egyptian-looking structure in the middle of a desert. After a few minutes of poking around and not really finding much, O'Neill asks Jackson to get them back home. Anna, you're not going to believe this, but since there are no glyphs in the to be found, Jackson can't do it. Ruh ro. <laughs> As the grumbly troops set up base camp, and this is the moment at which French Stewart then bullies James Spader, Jackson sees tracks in the desert leading him to a pack animal of some kind. Hijinks ensue when Jackson is dragged by the animal, followed by O'Neill and some other military guys completely devoid of any character traits whatsoever, to a mine and a bunch of humans. Hey, it's first contact. The locals are friendly when they see Jackson wearing a necklace with an Egyptian inscription of Ra on it, and are taken to the local city. Once there, as a gift to Jackson, the Mm. tribal leader Kasuf presents a person that Wikipedia insists is his daughter Shaori. I saw no evidence of this in the (laughs) film, but I'm totally going to go with Wikipedia on this one. Jackson demonstrates the cultural awareness of a 1990s protagonist and fails to comprehend the social meaning of this quote-unquote gift. He also keeps trying to communicate with the locals by writing in the sand, and they keep not vibing on that move. Finally, however, Shaori starts to write back. Meanwhile, a sandstorm blows through the planet, forcing the base camp soldiers back into the pyramid, but they're not alone, and they start to get whacked one by one. So I checked my notes while watching this film, Anna, and they say, Ask Anna about why the folks living on this planet had the same gender distribution as the Smurfs. Anna?
0: I have a lot of questions about the biological (laughs) diversity on this planet, Dan. And reproductive strategies. Uh, Yes. (laughs) If there had been visitors that look like James Spader prior to James Spader, that would explain why the women have Anglo features.
1: (laughs) Fair enough, yeah. And
0: no one else does. This is not the first time in the movie, but I guess this this is when I'll mention it. I kept thinking of like 1950s serials you know like th- this felt like it was like the mummy a- attacks kind of yeah. stuff do you know what i mean like yeah, yeah, the yeah. plot is that simplistic the the mm-hmm. gender dynamics are that horrific like it's it's just it's so bad and and it's bad in we 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 talked before about what makes a a good bad movie and mm-hmm. what makes a bad bad movie and this is interesting in the imric Ruv because it's a bad bad movie i think yeah
1: like, no, I agree. I, this was not a fun movie to watch. There's no other I mean way to, or, there is a yeah. bit of a
0: cult following to it, but it mm-hmm. it it is not a fun movie. It is not the the badness of it does not make you laugh. Really? Right. It just makes you Occasionally complain.
1: it made me laugh, but yes, but by and large it, it was just as you say, it was boring in a lot of places.
0: Yeah, the gender stuff is bad. I also <laughs> Again, I can't nitpick because if we nitpick, we'll just it'll be a 2-hour episode. Yeah. How do you outlaw writing, Dan? <laughs>
1: You know, I will say this. If you have managed to try to cultivate a religion and made something taboo, right. then presumably that could actually work. Like, that was actually one of the few things I thought was mildly interesting, was the idea. And we'll talk about this when we get to the IR in the film.
0: Huh. All um, right. Because I, I we need signs to communicate, right? Like, we right. need signs to have anything resembling civilization,
1: you know? We do, but then we, let me like, put this way. I will say this. I was surprised they weren't speaking to each other more. Or, like, I mean, you can speak to each other and that's possible, but you're right that, like, if you're in any city of any appreciable size, you would presumably need some sort of signage. And that does. And I mean, signs things.
0: also just to have something to communicate asynchronously, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, communi- yeah. that is something you need to, in order to, like, have money, in order to have, like, all, you, you need something to represent
1: something, which is
0: writing, right? So. Well, on the anyway, other hand, this was this was
1: a civilization that had been around for apparently. F- Four or 5,000 years and clearly awesome. had not developed technologically at all. And, so, and all.
0: Yeah. Oh, and if you can make a Stargate, why do you need like pack animals to help you mine yeah, or don't. by hand? Right? You know what?
1: You know what? Ana? This leads us directly oh. to Act 3. Okay. okay. And Act 3 is titled You Want Exposition? You Can't Handle the Exposition in this film. Mm. Okay. So, while O'Neill befriends uh, Scara, who is, I believe, one of the tribal leader's uh, sons, and some other local, <laughs> or, po- Really.
0: It doesn't matter. It yeah, really doesn't matter.
1: That, yeah. Absolutely no difference whatsoever Street urchin
0: Just a, It's a street urchin so. While O'Neill
1: befriends Scar And some of the other local kids With his lighter And his quote Don't play with guns mantra Although we'll get to that A little bit later mm-hmm. Shaori takes Jackson To a part of the city Where there is writing He is able to <laughs> decipher the language
0: See Like Okay
1: Yeah But it was hidden It was hidden on it yeah. Alright It was secret Okay Okay. At least I think it was. I don't know. I didn't even bother it, check sure on that. he can
0: read it. Okay. Mm, fine,
1: yeah. fine. Fine. Oh, no, no, no. He could decipher that in less than I think like an hour, you know, yeah. or whatever. But He learns the exposition dump, which is that these people's ancestors were from Earth. Turns out that Ra is an alien being who used the Stargate to come to Earth during the ancient Egyptian period because possessing human bodies extended his own life. Mm. Ra then enslaved other humans and brought them back to this planet, which I believe in the television show is called Abydos, and I kept... Getting sick of saying planet, so I'm just saying Abydos now. To mine what I am going to call Emric Vibranium, <laughs> um, used in the alien technology. The Egyptians, however, revolted and understandably buried the Stargate, although why they didn't just destroy it is another question entirely. It
0: might be undestroyable, who knows. But... Fair
1: enough. To prevent its use. Jackson also finds a cartouche, and I just like saying the word cartouche on him, containing six of the seven symbols he needs to use the Stargate to go home. When Jackson, O'Neill, and the others return to base camp, they discover that Ra's ship has landed on top of the pyramid and has taken control of the Stargate. Ra's guards capture them, shooting Jackson in the process. He is revived by spending time in what seems like a sarcophagus built by Sephora? (laughs) I I don't even know. He meets Ra, who tells Jackson that he has found the nuclear bomb O'Neill secretly brought. Ra uses the Emmerich Vibranium to increase the explosive power (laughs) a hundredfold. Yes, Anna?
0: It's unobtainium. Anomtanium. Oh,
1: okay.
0: Because well, it, clearly, it has properties that it, it, you just need to have for the plot. So that's the difference between vibranium and unobtanium I mean, I'm I'm know sure I know they don't cover this.
1: I think vibranium and unobtainium, I think Then vibranium is simply another form of unobtanium But okay, we'll we'll talk about. Well, I'll you know. Yeah,
0: I think it, we could bring out the MCU expanded universe. You know, uh, molecular chart. But I feel very <laughs> sure about this, so okay. I'm going to call it unobtainium. You can Fair discuss enough. this in the comments. Readers.
1: Okay. Listeners. The important point is that Ra plans to send this newly enhanced bomb back through the Stargate to Earth to wipe out humanity. Ra orders the human tribe to the pyramid to watch Jackson execute O'Neill and the others in a display of power designed to avert a slave revolt. Too late! Shari tells Skara and the other teens what Jackson had deciphered, and they create a diversion that allows everyone to escape to nearby caves. Once there, Jackson puzzles out the last glyph, sure, okay, that he needs to get the team back to Earth, and O'Neill finally fesses up that his mission was to blow up the Stargate if there was even a hint of a threat. Anna, maybe it's me, I don't know, but maybe the civil-military gap is too large to bridge, but it kind of seems like a bad idea to put a suicidal officer in charge of deciding whether to detonate a nuke, Hmm. especially Hmm. since it seemed as though he was pretty much ready to use it when no threat presented itself at the time.
0: Okay, first I want some credit for not stopping you in the middle of that particular <laughs> <laughs> arc of narration. Because there's just so much that I want to say about, like, every...
1: I just appreciate that you let me say it so I never have to say it again.
0: Piece of it. Yeah. Except, so, uh, just to get a little serious here, Dan,
1: mm-hmm.
0: not to get too far ahead, um, I think you're missing the true emotional core of the movie. Uh This is a story about a grieving father who heals from his son's accidental shooting after he's rescued by a group of children who use guns properly.
1: (laughs) This is really a movie about proper gun safety.
0: Yeah, yeah. He is relieved of his trauma by seeing other young people (laughs) shoot weapons and not die.
1: (laughs) Clearly. Although there is that one scene I think that's about to come up where you do see like one of the locals running in slow-mo wearing a helmet. And like it's it's one of those scenes that like the moment you see that shot, you're like, Yeah, that kid's not gonna make it. And sure enough, ten seconds later you just see the helmet rolling along. Oh, he
0: isn't healed from his grief by other children by saving another child, which might yeah. be thing another movie would do.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Rather, it's he's like, Oh, Kids can use guns safely. <laughs> I feel so much better. I'm ready yeah. to go home to my wife, to whom I will explain. See, the problem was that he didn't know how to use a gun. Dear. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to go great.
1: I almost wrote at the beginning, you know, the only, you know, Anna. I think one of the lessons from this film, without question, is that the only way to stop an, a bad alien with a gun is to arm a good child with a gun.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was looking for the good ex with a gun, yeah, uh, a joke, and you found it. Thank, thank you.
1: you, thank you, thank
0: you. I'm thank happy. You, Let's get the fuck on.
1: That is the title of Act Four, in fact, <laughs> on it. <laughs> so. O'Neill and his remaining men attack Ra's overseers to prove to the locals that they're not gods, but just a bunch of dudes. <laughs> Jackson, O'Neill, Shauri, and a few others attack Ra's pyramid. They get to the Stargate and find the nuke there, ready to be sent back to Earth. O'Neill then arms it on a seven-minute timer and tells Jackson to go through, after which he'll destroy the Stargate. Oh, and coincidentally on everyone on the planet. Just a point there. Yeah. Shauri, however, is shot by one of the guards. Ra sends out some low-rent A-wing fighter knockoffs to subdue the folks outside the pyramid, but soon all the locals are rising up. Ra orders the ship to depart and beams his chief henchman Anubis down to the Stargate to deploy the nuke now. Jackson uses the same teleportation beam to sneak aboard Ra's extremely underpopulated ship, leaving O'Neill to fight Anubis. Jackson is able
0: to- okay, see, there are tons of children on that ship, Dan.
1: There there are, but my point on the underpopulated thing was that- yeah, go ahead. There's not enough people. Yeah,
0: but the people seem to be made up of children, hot guards.
1: <laughs> yes, a few, right,
0: including Jimon Hansu. Yeah, like yeah. looking great because yeah. that's how he looks, and then lots of children <laughs>
1: like, mm-hmm. who then doesn't act-
0: get the same kind of attention as the other children.
1: True. Well, the, and, and furthermore, those children, Ra's children, I believe at one point are used as human shields because I think at one point Jackson has the possibility of shooting him and then the, the kids get in the way. Again, this falls under the category of scenes in this film I did not bother to recheck because I don't care. Right,
0: right, right. But it's just like no compunction about killing those kids. Like those no. kids are just too bad. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Picked the wrong side of the war. So in that way, it's accurate.
1: Those kids know what they did, Anna. All right. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, but also the key thing is is that the ship is so underpopulated that, that Jackson is able to carry Showery from wherever he was beamed into the regeneration chamber without anyone else just noticing them. It's really very convenient. That also way for at the one plot. point,
0: see now you brought up regen- regeneration. I have to be like, yes. Also, okay. Jackson was regenerated for some reason. Like you just blew past yeah, that. That made no just, sense.
1: I'm it just, sorry. It, it, I, it, 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 it made no, it, no it, sense. There was no explanation for why he was that that happened. Yeah, I grant you that. It, it, yes. Yeah.
0: Plot by Paycheck. Okay.
1: Jackson regenerates Showery in the sarcophagus and tries to return, but Ra finally notices him and has had enough of this shit. As he tries (laughs) to kill Jackson, O'Neal defeats Anubis and activates the teleportation system, beheading the henchmen and allowing Jackson and Showery to escape the ship back to the stargate at this point o'neill tries to disarm the nuke again not clear why he tries to do that there's no reason nothing in the actual plot has changed from when he armed it but whatever we're gonna do this he tries to disarm the nuke but can't so he and jackson simultaneously realize that what they should do is teleport the bomb to Ra's ship destroying the ship and Ra
0: and untold numbers of children
1: yes fair enough With the humans freed, O'Neill and his remaining two guys return to Earth while Jackson stays behind to totally make out with Shari. Anna, Stargate shirt seems to me like yet another example of the U.S. military successfully exporting democracy and promoting human rights across the universe. Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, if you told me that this movie was financed by the Pentagon, I would, I would believe you. Actually, (laughs) it's about, it's that good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of the Pentagon, Dan. Yes, Anna. Is there IR in this movie?
1: I guess the phrase IR dweeb doesn't mean anything to you, does it? (laughs) Of course there's IR in this film. I think (laughs) there.
0: Okay, I I looked ahead in the script. (laughs) Yeah, go, Dan. Yeah, there's IR.
1: Yep, yep. So there's two pieces of IR. One, and this is really... Maybe the Pentagon did fund this because this is an important film about nuclear safety, <laughs> So... <laughs> In International Relations of Nuclear War, there there's two concepts when we talk about control of <laughs> nuclear weapons. There is positive control. It is control- so funny
0: to hear you go into Professor Mode I know. about this movie. I'm sorry. It's I'm also t- great. So I'm just trying. continue.
1: That's- there is positive control. Yes,
0: Professor Dresner, go.
1: And negative control. Positive right. control is that when you want to launch a nuclear weapon, the weapon will be launched as soon as possible. Negative control is that only... The president, or only the head of state, should be able to do that. No one else should be able to accidentally or unintentionally set off the nuke. The problem with with, um, with nuclear diplomacy is that anything that generally increases positive control usually undercuts negative control and vice versa. And we see this in this film because... <laughs> They decide, sure, let's let the suicidal colonel decide whether or not the nuke should be activated, okay? So they send along a nuke with him without requiring any authorization from home to activate it, and sure enough, Ra is able to gain control of it and potentially send it back. Again, lesson yeah, apparently kids...
0: Apparently, there's just, like, a keypad. Yeah. Right?
1: Yep. <laughs> like, yep. The lesson here, children, and, you know, and other think listeners... he
0: would be pro gunlock. you yeah. know?
1: It's just... The point is, if you're trying to make it easy to use a nuke, that nuke might be used inappropriately. That's the lesson. All right. And then uh, the second piece of IR is the brittle nature of authoritarian legitimacy. Mm -hmm. So Ra possesses technological supremacy and I think the power to enslave minds. That was a little vague to me, frankly. Nonetheless, he also does care about whether his workers fear him. And rightly so. Lots of studies about authoritarian states, from the collapse of East Germany to the color revolutions of the 1990s to the Arab Spring to the recent uprising in Kazakhstan, shows that authoritarians need legitimacy to sustain their rule. Sure, force can repress uprisings, but it's very hard to maintain. And I gotta say, Ross seems pretty freaking adept at maintaining power. It's actually a miracle <laughs> to me that he's lasted this long.
0: Yeah, apparently five thousand years, right? Yeah, like, yeah. and just in the civilization has it advanced? The writing thing, they can or can't or whatever. Somehow, Sheree learned. Who knows? Right, and that's whatever. the way in which he keeps
1: maintains control. Also, because he yeah, fears technological change, it's, and you it's, know,
0: uh, let's see. Rather than any of that, let's just watch my hand wave <laughs> across the yeah, script. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say this, if we're really gonna
1: go there, I kept thinking, surely you could have automated the mining by this point. You know, yeah, you don't maybe, even really need you know, them. <laughs>
0: Right. Okay, well, you know what, Dan? That brings us to to something else.
1: Yeah, that's true, Anna. Uh, Anna? Dan? Is there a critique of capitalism in this movie?
0: Dan. Mm -hmm. If I had a dollar for every time I checked how much time was left in this movie, (laughs) I wouldn't have a critique of capitalism. (laughs) Unfortunately... Emric and Devlin do have a dollar for every time I checked how much time was left in this movie. They have many more dollars than that. Mm-hmm. And that's why capitalism is bad. I wasn't going to say much more than that. I was literally going to do Adorno, peace out. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you're, but you've, you've come clearly, up on a little Mexican
1: writing binge. Keep, keep, keep going on it. No,
0: no. There's this yeah. clearly, you know, there's a class consciousness problem in this movie, right? Like, I mean, there's nothing but labor. There is management. And then there's just like a shit ton of labor. Yeah. And... one of this actually sort of get back to the IR like I mean I guess in order to suppress labor that extremely right that Mm -hmm. successfully you do have to do something akin to mind control what what Dorno would say is just you have to provide them entertainment and that's what's missing from this movie is the kind of entertainment that this movie is the pablum the pap (laughs) that can soothe and distract your labor so that they just mindlessly go into those minds and don't question the authority
1: yeah, like and it's again About like them. it shows how bad a film it is frankly that really we never get a perspective from the indigenous people well, not indigenous people <laughs> but the locals. <laughs> we we honestly Sorry. like
0: I'm not laughing at calling them indigenous people. I'm calling it like the I'm laughing at the imaginative leap that would have to be made by Emric and Devlin yeah. for them to like think maybe we should have a person talk from
1: from <laughs> or, them. Yeah. From them a person
0: who's not a white person may have a personality or something like maybe in
1: fairness Anna, a lot of the white people in this film also lack personality so like i'm not (laughs) sure this is a race thing i think this just might be a bad writing thing
0: all right well speaking of bad writing yes Uh, there are some Imric tropes in this movie Dan you're the you're the real expert at spotting these so you go first
1: okay I found a couple of them so uh, again Menacing Aliens what I like is that this was the film apparently with good aliens because like didn't you say in the last episode that like on yeah, the press what tour if the for this were really, what if were the really aliens bad? were evil like <laughs> they seem pretty bad in this one too I'm, I'm just saying again you pair a nebbishy but yet sexy scientist academic uh, with a very masculine fighter so like you could yeah. see the, the the, the prototype for what would you know jeff goldblum and, and will smith would be and the kurt russell james spader pairing again you brought this up last week and i hadn't thought about it but i i did this came to mind as i was watching this film forced humor that you nonetheless laugh at because it's so cheesy so give my regards to king tut asshole is like when, when kurt russell says that <laughs> again i laughed at it because i was laughing at it and you know <laughs>
0: And yeah. also, this is the the 90s are when we get the catchphrase heroes. Yeah. Right? Well, it was the 80s, you know? I
1: think. It, I think it starts with Schwarzenegger. Right, right. It starts below. with Schwarzenegger in the 80s. But yeah, then
0: you yeah. have like the 90s, you get several iterations of yeah. that. So, and
1: this was clearly Emmerich's contribution to that.
0: What the evolution of that is, though, is that we don't have it so much today, is that you give your heroes multiple catchlines, like multiple catchphrases, yeah. and you just try out a few different ones, you mm-hmm. know, and which you know dilutes the whole effect. If you don't mind my interrupting on the tropes, I would say about the humor, it's that it's almost like AI generated humor because (laughs) it has no relationship really to anything else. I mean, yes, like the King Tut, uh, Egypt, you know, there is that connection, but it's like just grafted on to the dialogue. No,
1: it's completely contrary to everything else you you see in the film. Yeah. So in that sense, it made, as you, you know, how would I put it? You laugh at it because it's like, yes, of course, it's a 90s movie and there has to be that line. But that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, to paraphrase The Simpsons, nuclear weapons, the cause of and solution to are all our problems.
0: (laughs) Oh, are we going to see more nukes?
1: Well, we saw them in Independence Day, obviously. And I kind of wonder if we're going to see that in Moonfall. Moonfall.
0: Yeah. Just a couple things to add. Um, children as plot devices <laughs> is a big deal for Imric. I'm I'm a little surprised. Well, actually, I guess you could say that uh, O'Neill is alienated from his child uh, since the child's. Oh
1: yes, um. yes, yeah. That's a safe <laughs> statement there.
0: But that's an Imric thing, you know. Yeah. We don't have divorced parents. If but. it makes you
1: feel any better, Anna, in the... Tel- I did watch the pilot to Stargate SG-1 after this, because okay. I was kind of... Because, like, I know that w- the, the Discord... People
0: really love the, the TV right. show. The I, TV I knew show that has, like, a vast fan, fan base. That
1: around. was my understanding, and so I was sort of curious. And it, if it makes you feel any better, the pilot for the show takes place about a year or two... It's set a year or two after the events of the film, and O'Neill is divorced at that point. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, somehow I think the whole... Like, maybe that's because he went back and said... Honey, what we need to do is train the children. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it, I mean, like, literally,
1: sorry, go ahead. I was going to say about the gender thing, but I'll say it in response to your next oh, one. Oh,
0: uh, yes, there's another trope, which is the sexism it burns.
1: Yeah. Right. And that. speaking of which, you know, O'Neill's wife, like, I don't even think you actually see her face. Like, they. they oh, you
0: do? Because she lights a cigarette.
1: <laughs> she does? Okay. But, like it's, like, it's like she has one or two lines, and that's it, and we never right. see them again. You nope. know, so yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Yep. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. All right, well. Dan!
0: Ah, it's the remains of Ra's spaceship. We have come into the debris field where we talk about the things we haven't already talked about. Dan, what do you got?
1: (laughs) Not much, Anna, because I did not like this film. First, this is just a dumb question. I don't have allergies. Is it possible to have allergies in a desert?
0: I didn't. I didn't ask, Dan. I, I didn't. I just... I At some point, you do just let this movie wash over you. I guess. Like, it's just... It's not a pleasant kind of washing over you, like some dumb movies, but yeah.
1: The, the only thing is, I again, apparently the show must have been good because one of the things we do know is in that Great Expanse Easter egg in their series finale, one of the, the names listed... On that thing is Jack O'Neill, is Kurt Russell's character. So, you know, I think he's played by Richard Dean Anderson in the, in the TV mm-hmm. show. I have to assume that the show must be better than this film. That wouldn't have been hard. Anna, what about you?
0: I have <laughs> one thing. Yes? <laughs> Which is, I think uh, James Spader's pretty good. Like, <laughs> uh, that's it. That's it. That's all I got. I mean, right? Like, of of, of the acting present in the film... And there isn't much. No, he's trying to do something, like that's the best I can do. Which, because <laughs> like I said, there are charismatic actors in this film. Yeah, Kurt. Yeah, you know, and oh, they I- just seem to have undergone some process where it is removed and then set aside for later use. So
1: <laughs> there is. I forgot. There, I had one other thing, which is I kept wondering whether did Kurt Russell use his experience with the Stargate film to channel his performance as Ego in the Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Because in some ways, it's the same <laughs> plot, right? Rod needs humans in order to be able to sustain his life. That's essentially what Kurt Russell's character kind of does, you know, in Guardians of the well, Galaxy 2. you know, 2.
0: maybe that's where he put that extra charisma. There you go. I mean, that, that, you know, he set it aside, put a jar on the shelf, probably forgot about it, sat up there, got yep. a little stronger, kind of fermented like a fine wine, mm-hmm. and then took it out for Guardians of the Galaxy because he's because the charisma in that movie. We, I mean,
1: he's off the charts. Bit. Yeah, no, yeah. like you know, you you can believe that he's Chris Pat's father is the, is the the thing. And again, that was one of the frustrating things about this film is just watching Kurt Russell mope around the entire time, and then actually it's like he's
0: not even moping because moping is an emotion.
1: That's true. He's like, just on top autom- time. I I way. I literally laughed at the end of the film when he has that he cracks that smile as he finally goes through the stargate and says, <laughs> "Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to be okay." And I'm like, "What? Okay?" Oh my sure, god, it's whatever. Kurt Russell.
0: Like it's like, "Oh, wow. I, yeah. have been troub- I had been I troubled recognizing that actor." Yeah. <laughs> now I realize that's Kurt Russell. Yep. Okay, well, Dan, um I want to apologize for making <laughs> us do this movie. That's
1: okay.
0: My thinking was that hey, the television show is real popular. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. People have been asking us to do the TV show. Let's take a look at the movie.
1: Listeners, it's going to take a while for us to reopen the Stargate universe is all I'm going to say. Like, we might do it at some point, but we're going to need to recover from this episode.
0: And just to remind folks, well, there will be something of a palate cleanser with Day After Tomorrow because I think, to me, that is a good, bad movie. Um, It's not a great, bad movie. No. But it is a good, bad movie. And then, of course, there's Moonfall.
1: Moonfall. (laughs)
0: And then after that, I think we have kind of landed on the ministry of the future.
1: Yes, I we need a, As a cleanser. penance, kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Also I think it's cleansing
0: appropriate. cleansing and penance. Yeah. For all this big dumb stuff. That's correct. We're gonna do something that's good for us. Good for you. Sort and Obama of. recommended. We should actually. We should. <laughs> I think we should. Every time Obama recommends a sci-fi book,
1: uh-huh. we should do it. Oh God! All right. All right. I think it's so that.
0: interesting. Like, I think I wrote a, a piece because you know I used to do a twice a week column, Dan, and woof. I know you you also write a, yeah. a, that clip, and you yeah, you, uh, you tap dance a lot. There's a lot of vamping, of you know, coming up with stuff to write.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. No, I'm just saying, like anyone who oh, writes okay, a twice right. a week column, there's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: you're just like mining. You're going through the crumbs at the bottom of the chip bag. You're just like, oh you yeah. Know. Uh, so I think I wrote a column about Obama as like nerd in chief. You know,
1: that's not the worst column. That's 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 that's, that that, that doesn't require a lot of amping. That's like, yeah, that would be a natural one to write.
0: Because, you know, he he had like he was apparently Game of Thrones fan and Mm -hmm. like. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, he liked the three body problem, apparently.
0: Yes, all of that. And although three body problem was after I would have written this column, This was probably 2012 or something. Mm -hmm. I think I gave him a lot more credit (laughs) than he really deserved. (laughs) I think his taste in sci-fi is that of someone who doesn't love sci-fi.
1: You know what, we will talk about this more seriously when we do Ministry of the Future, so that's fair enough.
0: And until then, Dan.
1: Keep this channel open for more.